This is Real Fiction Radio. I'm your host, Lori Messing-McGarry, and today I'm in conversation with best-selling author Caroline Levitt. But with structure, you learn how to figure out the basic skeleton of your novel. Every novel has to have certain beats that it hit. And once you have those, that's where the creativity comes in. You're listening to WERALP 96.7 in Arlington, Virginia, and streaming on WERA.FM. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lori Messing-McGarry. You're listening to Real Fiction, a place for novelists, poets, and journalists. We talk to authors about their new book releases, the people and events that inspired the story. Caroline Levitt is the author of 11 novels, including New York Times bestselling Pictures of You and Is This Tomorrow? Her 12th novel, With or Without You, will be published by Algonquin Press next year in 2020. Caroline reviews books for the Boston Globe and San Francisco Chronicle and has taught creative writing at UCLA and Stanford University. There's no greater champion for writers and the craft of storytelling than this author, and we invited Carolyn to talk with us about her career in writing and changes in the publishing industry. Joining us by phone from Hoboken, New Jersey, is Caroline Levitt. Caroline, welcome to Real Fiction. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm thrilled. Well, thank you. And I first want to remind listeners that your last novel, Cruel, Beautiful World. It was published in 2016, was critically acclaimed, and it was described as classic storytelling about the bonds of family against the backdrop of the Vietnam War and the Charles Manson murders. And it was a a wonderful book, and so many people loved it. And what's funny is that when I first asked if you could join us for a discussion on season one, your next novel hadn't been announced, But very recently, news of With or Without You hit the press, and already the early peer reviews are extraordinary. So I want to first ask you, is there anything that you can tell us about your new novel? Will your editors allow you to talk about it a little bit? Oh, sure they will. (laughs) Oh, good. For me to do that. Um, With or Without You actually took me six years to write. I kept picking it up and putting it down because I wasn't ready to write about it. It's it's about fame and success and what it does and doesn't mean. It's also really about who we are and who we want to be. It, it, it's centered around this couple who are both in their early 40s and they're having an argument. He's a rock and roller and he's about to have a big break and she's a nurse and she wants him to grow up and settle down with her and they're drinking and doing a little bit of drugs and they fall asleep. And in the morning he wakes up, but she doesn't. So he rushes her to the hospital and she's in a coma. So he loses his break to stay with her. But when she wakes up, her personality is so radically different that it has these dramatic consequences for both of them, as well as for the young doctor taking care of her. And it's really about, you know, the the choices we make and the possibilities in life and Was that a topic that you had kind of percolating in your mind for a while, or did it just come out of the blue? 
was in my mind for a while. I was thinking a lot about success and and what it means and how it changes you. And I was also, for some reason, I don't know where it popped up, but I was reading about all these coma patients who woke up and they had very different skills. You know, there were people who woke up and suddenly they could speak Mandarin, Chinese, where they never had been able to before. Or there was one guy who woke up and he suddenly was a really talented pianist, where before he had no musical ear at all. And I have a friend who's a neuroscientist, and I was talking to him about it, and he said that, you know, science doesn't really understand why this happens, just that sometimes it does. And so that was a way for me to sort of gird the whole novel and keep it together. Well, that is fascinating. And so you have about a year before that final version is released. And I think I mentioned before, but we'll say again, this will be your 12th novel. Do you still get any pre-publishing jitters? Is it a nerve-wracking time or is it an exciting time? Tell us about what what that space is like between finishing a book and then launching a book. Oh, it's horrible. It's completely horrible. (laughs) I'm totally anxious because I know that you never know what's going to happen. I've seen books that have gotten, been on every single list you could imagine, every single publicity um, opportunity they get, and the books just sort of didn't find its audience. And I've seen other books that had no publicity whatsoever, and word of mouth shot them to the top of the New York Times bestselling list. So I'm trying to be very sort of middle of the road about this and thinking, well, I wrote this book. I've already thrown myself into a new book because I don't want to obsess about what's going to happen to this book. But, you know, you you just you just never know. And it's really, really scary. And it's scary in steps. Like the first scary step is getting the blurbs, you know, advanced blurbs. Then you have to worry about, you know, pre-publicity. And most publicity that's important comes out three to six months before the book even does. Um, I'm, you touched on something, and I want to ask you about it. There are lists that come out seasonally announcing the new book releases, and um, there there are always new lists and special lists, I will call them. I know that in, in the past, one of your books was picked up by um, famous Penny from Costco, and it went, went into the, the magazine. Did that give that book a noticeable boost did you recognize a connection between oh, yes. those two things okay that that was um that was my ninth novel picture review and it did it it absolutely did it's penny penny of penny's books is amazing she makes best sellers and that shot my book onto the new york times bestseller list it's you know it's first three weeks out because she gets the books everywhere and it goes into the magazine and everybody reads it. It's a tremendous thing to have. And I was, I was really, really lucky. So you're with Algonquin Press, and we mentioned that before. That's who is publishing your book. And I think you have perhaps been with a different publishing houses over your career. Yeah. Just speaking about the publishing element of writing, we have listeners who are avid readers and and some who are writers with manuscripts in progress. What has changed in the industry since your early novels were released? 
Oh, so, so much. I mean, first of all, there's when I first started out, there really was no social media. Um, now we have ebooks, audio books, and also pirating. Um, it's so much easier to connect with readers if you're a writer and writers if you're a reader. Everybody is online on social media and it's a way to spread interest in books. Unfortunately, What's been going on in the YA community uh, with Twitter is it's also very easy to kill a book. Um, there's a whole YA community on Twitter that is policing some of the YA books. And when they don't like something that a book is doing, they all tend to band together. And they've gotten a few books thrown out of publication, which is kind of awful. But on the other side, on the upside, you can have a whole lot of people really supporting you and pre-ordering your book and talking to you and you can have online discussions. It's, it's much, I think it's much easier now than it was before because you can do a lot of this stuff yourself if you're a writer. And if you're a reader, it's much easier to contact writers. You know, it seems though, even as the industry's evolving, readers are still craving classic storytelling. And I mentioned earlier that you have taught writing at UCLA, Stanford. And um, I want to highlight an aspect of your teaching method that is fascinating to me. You've encouraged writers, particularly those who get stuck, to write the novel from back to front. In other words, start at the end. Can you talk a little bit about this structural approach that you you recommend to writers? Yeah, I um, I first found this out from John Irving, who does not write a novel until he knows the first sentence and the last sentence, and that's part of story structure. So it's like having two linchpins to the novel where you know where your character is starting out, what their problems are, what their misconceptions are, and how they're going to change at the very end. And in most novel writing courses, you move forward to see how that character's journey is taking them to this end point. But the way I was thinking of it is a lot of times when you're stuck, you can just go to that end point. Say the character starts out as an alcoholic and ends as a non-alcoholic. So you start at the end point and you start to think backwards and you start to try to imagine, well, what would be the big thing that would happen to this character that would derail them and make them think, maybe I should you know, go to AA. And then you keep going backwards on it. Um, I find story structure incredibly helpful, and I didn't always find it helpful. I always thought you had to wait for the muse. And then I would end up with 800-page books with no narrative drive. But with structure, you learn how to figure out the basic skeleton of your novel. Every novel has to have certain beats that it hits. And once you have those, that's where the creativity comes in. It's like putting muscle and flesh and clothes and hair and whatever else on on a skeleton. You create something that has a very strong base to it, and yet it can get wildly creative. And, I, you know, that's the way I write all my novels now. And I think my students like this method, too. I mean, they, they seem to like it anyway. 
So it's not just for plot-driven novels. This can work for a student or a writer who just gets stuck. It, oh, um, yeah. Because I would describe your novels as kind of literary, but with like I would describe them as character-driven literary novels. Is that is that consistent with how you view your books? There's Absolutely. a plot, but then there's just so much uh, uh, depth. And I think I can just imagine that some of the writers who enter that classroom instruction think, oh, no, I'm writing a literary masterpiece. Plot is really <laughs> not important to what we're doing here. Right. I don't really talk about plot so much in the class as much as I do character, because I think char- I think plot comes out of the character. And I try to dig really, really deeply into the character. How does a character start out? What's the moral blind spot of the character? What are the kind of moral choices the character is making? So it becomes really, really deep. And it also becomes really, really personal to each of the writers who I work with. And I think that's what makes their novels more universal. Because when you dig deep and you get personal, for some reason, it it's like sending out ripples to people saying, look, I went to this dark place, so you don't have to. But you can read this and think, oh, me too. I felt that too. As you're talking about that, I'm thinking of categories that uh, novels fit into. And there tends to be a little bit of confusion about what is a literary novel? What is an upmarket novel, a commercial novel? How does a writer figure out what their book represents when they are finishing a, a draft, they want to send it out to agents? How, how do you define the different types of stories? Well, I always tell, you know, the writers that I teach or people who, who come to me that figuring out the genre is a marketing decision. I have people who wrote what they thought was a YA, and it was published as an adult novel and vice versa. I think unless you're definitely writing sci-fi or you're definitely writing a fantasy novel or a crime novel, it's it's almost like it's not your business to know what the genre is because the marketing department will figure that out. Um, I help a lot of people with query letters, and whenever they say what the genre of the book is, I always cross it out because I think that you can market just about any novel any way you want. Let's talk about the query letters just for a moment. We get a lot of questions. I see a lot of questions on social media. Is there a real art to reaching out to agents? Um, Is there specific language that seems to capture attention or things that absolutely a writer should avoid when when they're seeking representation on a manuscript? Absolutely. That's that's a really great question. Um, first of all, when when writers are querying agents, because agents are so so busy, and they often you're often waiting for them for months sometimes. You want to query at least 50 or 60 agents at a time, and you don't want to send out a form letter because. Agents are human beings, and they don't want to get a form letter and think, oh, you sent the same letter to 50 other agents. So you have to do your homework. 
I tell people to make up a list of 50 Asians and then research them, find out things about them. Most Asians have had interviews where they've said something interesting. I always say the first paragraph of a query letter should tell the agent that you know something about them, and it should be something pertinent about why you think you'd be a good fit with that agent. You can say something like, I recently read an interview with you, and I loved when you said... Um, writers are magic people or whatever they said or you know their list you read a book and you looked at the acknowledgement page and you saw your favorite writer acknowledge them that kind of thing is really really important in the first paragraph uh, the, the second paragraph is usually very brief about the book and the third paragraph is the this is what I call the this is me paragraph where you want to tell the agent something about yourself that's interesting. Like if you wrote a book about horses, maybe you've lived among horses your whole life, and that would be an interesting thing to say. Uh, it's things beyond any publishing credits you might have. You know, I think people always want to know from writers, particularly someone who's had uh, a big career like you, uh, did you face rejection early in your career? Oh, my I most certainly did. <laughs> I, oh. I was published very, very early on in my 20s, and my first book was a success, and then my publisher went out of business, and so I got a new publisher, and they went out of business. Then I got a new publisher, a big publisher, and I got a three-book deal, and they did nothing, and the book sort of floundered and really didn't do anything. When I wrote Pictures of You, it was my ninth novel, and it was rejected by my then-publisher on contract. They said, you know, you don't sell books, nobody knows who you are, even though it's your ninth book, and this book just isn't special enough for us. And I was dumbfounded, and I said to the editor, well, can I, can I rewrite it? And she said, no, we don't think you can. And I said, well, can I show you another book? She said, no, we don't think that's going to be special either. So I hung up, and I was near hysterical, because if you have nine novels, and none of them have done very well, and nobody really knows who you are, your chances of being picked up by another publisher are slim to nil. So I cried to all my friends, and I cried to my agent, and one of my friends said, you know, I just have this new, new editor at Algonquin, and I think your book is probably something she might like. Do you mind if I talk to her about it? And I said, you know, be my guest. So she talked to the editor, and the editor liked the description and wanted to see the manuscript. And after she had the manuscript for a week, and she called me up, and I said, look, this is really nice for you to do, but... I know you're in the business of selling books, and I really don't sell books. And she laughed, and she said, well, you know what? You will now. And they bought the book, and they took that, you know, that little non-special book, and it got in six printings before it was published. It made the New York Times bestseller list its first few weeks out. And all of a sudden, people knew who I was. <laughs> so I think that's why I'm so obsessed about, you know, what does success really mean, because it's... It took me nine books, and I just figure in a way it, it was really better to have waited so long for that because I don't take anything for granted anymore. I just know that so much of being a success has to do with timing, luck, who you're publishing with, um, and so many other, other factors. So anyone who gets rejection, all I have to say to you is do not give up. It can always happen. 
if there is one takeaway from this discussion, you said that this happened after your ninth book. So I just yep. don't want to let that detail go. Persistence, yep. <laughs> is, persistence is key is your message. Oh, yes. Never give up. Well, I, I want to ask you about this because you always seem to have a new story in your head. And you write, and then it goes through its iterations and revisions. How do you know when a new manuscript is ready for your agent to see it or ready for your editor to take a look? It's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, with my editor, I usually have a – I usually sell – in terms of a synopsis and the first 50 pages, so I have a deadline. But in terms of my agent, I I usually show other people. I have four or five other writer friends, and I show them the detailed synopsis over and over again. <laughs> and I rewrite it about 30 times, and I finally reach a point where you sort of know that there's nothing more you can do with it so it's ready to send out. I have a new synopsis now. It's about 20 pages and I have about 50 pages written and I've shown it to four or five writers and I decided I needed to show it. I decided I needed to hire another professional editor to look at it who's looking at it now. And as soon as I get her responses and I'm going to redo it one more time which will probably be 30 times in all and then I'm going to send it to my agent. And I'm sure she'll have comments, too. My agent always makes me rewrite things about five times. And then my editor has me rewrite them about a million times. So that's just part of the process. Well, I want—I don't want to leave that point just yet. So you're saying that even with 12 books under your belt, revision is still absolutely essential and critical to your process. It's it's not like you can sit down and bang out a, a beginning, middle, and end in one sitting. It really is an editorial process still. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I think it's important for people to hear that from somebody oh, like you. yeah, absolutely. And I actually, I actually love revision because you get to see the, every time you revise something, you get another layer added on and it becomes better. I mean, even after I sell a novel, there's revision upon revision. Uh, there were about five different revisions from my editor, Algonquin. Then it goes to a copy editor who, and the copy editor's job is to find little inconsistencies. And then that's another revision. It's just, I know when I'm done with the book because then I cannot bear to look at it a second longer. And that's after, I would say, 30 revisions. That's part of the, that's part of the process. Writing is really rewriting, and you really have to learn to love it. Well, what you've demonstrated in the last few minutes is a uh, masterful description of the, the, the process, the writing, revision publishing, agenting. And so eventually all of these all of this effort turns into a book and then it gets released and it's in bookstores. And I would really love to know as we move toward fall 2019, are there some books that you've been kind of monitoring in the social media process in in the kind of embryonic phase that you think are going to be big books or important books? What should we be looking for in the fall of 2019? That's a really interesting question because to be absolutely truthful, the books I get most excited about 
are most often debuts or books I never heard of. Because I'm a book critic, I get books, I get about 10 galleys of of upcoming books every day. And I'm always thrilled when it's a book that I don't know anything about because there's that excitement of getting involved in it. Um, so far, my, my galleys are only going through early summer, but the books that I'm really excited about are uh, Elizabeth Stroud has a new book coming out, Olive Again, and I love her. I just got a galley for The Dutch House by Ann Patchett, who I think is also a, just a magnificent writer. But again, I just want to say that um, I I love the surprise of books that I don't know. Well, I have uh, a last question for you. It's a question we asked of all of our guests. Uh, Could you tell us about a book you love to recommend that no one has probably ever heard of? Yes. This is a book that was published in 2000. It's called Afterlife, two, two words, by Rian Ellis. And it's amazing. It's an amazing book. She hasn't published a book since, but it's this heart. It's this really smart, haunting character study about this very skeptical daughter whose mother is this famed psychic. And this daughter gets involved in a bad boyfriend and a murder and you just really know don't know where it's going it's it's unbelievably great just gorgeously written and page turning and literary for for people who want literary novels and uh, I'm hoping she will she will write a new novel because I still reread this novel it's one of the novels I still have on my desk because it's just so so good that is an excellent suggestion. I have not heard of that. So you satisfied the challenge of, of oh, selecting a book so that no, I haven't heard of that. And I'm madly taking notes here as I'm listening <laughs> to the description. Oh, Carolyn, we want to thank you so much for talking with us today. And for everyone listening, our our guest today is the author Caroline Levitt. Her authors, her novels rather, are published by Algonquin Press. Caroline's next novel is With or Without You. It is scheduled for publication in 2020. And Caroline, can you remind us um, where we can learn more about you, your blog, and any upcoming events you may have? Sure, sure. I'm always on. Um, There's my website, which is my name, carolinelevitt.com. I'm on Twitter as Levitt Novelist. I'm on Facebook under my name, I'm on, where else am I on? Oh, I'm on Instagram under my name. And that's it. My my website will tell you all my appearances. I don't have a book to promote, so I'm sort of here and there on appearances, but mostly I'm writing. Well, hopefully you'll come back to Real Fiction to talk about your new novel next year. Um, and so thank you again for coming to the program. And thanks to everyone for listening. We're on Wednesdays at noon on WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington, streaming on WERA.FM, and you can find us at realfictionradio.com. Thank you.